Hey, thank you so much. Uh, if you have visited Green Tree and haven't been here over the last 10 weeks, I'm the stranger in your midst. Uh, I'm actually a pastor here, and the church generously and wonderfully uh, granted me a sabbatical after eight years of service here. And so we've been in the desert for 10 weeks. Uh, it's got its attractions, but I'm glad to be back, even with the tornado warnings. <laughs> um, if you would please take the uh, books on the end of the row and record your requests and needs and presents, uh, that is a really a great help to us. Uh, just before I went on sabbatical, I heard a really funny story, and that was somebody was passing the book down the line and said to her neighbor, I bet you nobody ever reads these anyway. And with that, she handed it to Sia Whitaker. <laughs> And see as the person who processes these every week. <laughs> uh, so they really are processed, and we do get feedback, and we do take note of what you are saying and uh, what you are requesting. So please help us in that. Thank you so much. Uh, for the last five years or so, Bruce and Shala Abernathy have run our Freed Up Financial Ministry. And uh, just recently, my friend Peter Rayson and his wife Linda took over, and they're planning another budget workshop this year, something that, Lord knows, we all need. Uh, somebody was celebrating with me that he got a new job and is finally going to get this great salary and, and so on. I said, you haven't heard about... Um, Murphy yet, have you? And he said, no, who's Murphy? I said, Murphy says you always spend 10% more than you take in. <laughs> so uh, we all need the budget. Thank you, Peter. Please give us the information. Morning. My name is Peter Rayson. My wife, Linda, and I have been attending Green Tree now for about five years. And we're honored to have the opportunity to uh, take over the baton from the Abernathy's, as Anton mentioned, to teach the Freed Up Financial uh, Living course. We'll be teaching this course over two Saturdays, starting on April 26th and then again on uh, May 10th. Did you know that there's over 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions? That's more than any other topic in the Bible. God knows that how we handle our finances can be a major stumbling block to our relationship with him. So this course will explore what the Bible and culture say about five financial areas, and those are earning, giving, saving, how we handle debt, and spending, and how to implement biblical principles in your daily financial lives. This course is designed for everybody in the congregation, regardless of your financial situation or age. The details of the course are starting on Saturday, April 26th. We'll meet from 9 to noon at the church office and again on May 10th to give us a week in between to do some uh, homework. And the cost is $30 for individuals and $45 for couples. The location, as I mentioned, is going to be at the church office. And there's registration at the back table uh, this morning. I'll be standing back there after the service and be glad to talk to you and give you more information and also online at greentreechurch.com. Today you can also pick up a pre-work packet, so what we're going to ask you to do is to do some pre-work ahead of time so when you come to the, uh, uh, the teachings that you'll be prepared for some of the work we're going to go through. So Lynn and I have been blessed over the years of seeing how God has used this course 
to, uh, in the lives of individuals, families, and marriages. And we'd love to meet you, get to know you, and love to have you join us. Thanks very much. Thank you, Peter. I was a distance runner in high school. <clears throat> so I uh, won cross country and was running the mile. And I recall one race. We'd done two and a half laps. And my body started to revolt. I began to feel weariness like a blanket cloaking me in its wetness. I got discouraged and became tense, and so, of course, I lost my rhythm, and my stride became short and jerky, and all through, my body was screaming, give it up, you idiot. <laughs> well, I became, as I came up to the end of the third lap, when the bell would ring for the final lap and make extra demands on me, um, and I was thinking of quitting, I became of conscious of a voice. Someone was running next to me inside the track and was shouting, relax, relax, relax. <laughs> and I glanced and it was my coach and I learned such a wonderful lesson. I realized you can actually consciously relax your body. And so I began to do that and the rhythm began to come back and my strides began to uh, take on their regular uh, size again. And the tension drained from me, and it was a complete transformation. And just then the bell rang, and I was ready to give it everything. I wish I could tell you I'd won the race. I didn't, e I didn't even place, but I finished. And I think that was the important lesson. Green Tree Church started a mile race with a MOVE initiative. You remember, we bought the Alpine shop, and that was the first lap, and then we sold it. The end of the first lap for 900,000 Alpine store. We're going to hold us up 10 years to develop it. They had two five-year leases uh, under their belt. No sign of them letting up on it. The second lap was that 229 people in our church committed over $5 million over the next two years. You know how astonishing both of those things are? The Alpine shop in the space of about three months and then a $5 million commitment. And uh, the third lap was that 56% of our members and attenders have financially committed to fund the ministry and the MOVE initiative. Um, and that's an, also an amazing statistic. A lot, a lot of folks are hesitant to commit to the... Un, the uh, uneasy financial atmosphere of the world and of our nation in particular, and yet uh, we've had this great response. And I think that maybe we're just in the middle of that third lap and starting to feel the weariness a little bit, and uh, the elders will be sending out a pack of information this week, and you're going to get this whole overview. I invite you to look for those amazingly encouraging things in the the information that comes to you. And as you open it, just think to yourself, the Holy Spirit's ringing the bell. We're in to the last lap. So let's give it everything we've got and finish well uh, to the glory of God. And now let us pray together. 
Lord, what a deep and profound and amazing worship experience we had this morning. To think of the Lord Jesus Christ as the fairest of the fair. And to give him our joyful praise and get lost in wonder that he's fairer than the meadows and the mountains and the starry host. And then we were led into forgiveness, and Lord, how we need that. I know my own life, I don't do the things you want me to do, and so regularly do the things I don't want to do, and you certainly don't want me to do, and omit doing other things that I should be doing. So your forgiveness comes like the coach shouting, relax. And we discover that as we relax into your forgiveness, uh, the tension drains out of us and we pick up the rhythm of your heart and we're able to run the race again without the jerky stride of tension. And then, Lord, we were led into surrender and to give ourselves to you. And how gladly we did that. You, the author of grace, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You, the one that we adore and just berate ourselves as being so foolish whenever we stray from your pathway. And so it was good to feel the embrace of forgiveness as the Holy Spirit drew us again into the Father's embrace and uh, the, the Son's sacrifice. So, Lord, we are prepared to hear your word as those who are fully surrendered to you. And we will maybe hear some things that will discombobulate us and upset our stride. And then we will realize your intention and we will relax again into your grace and find out that we can finish the race well. And so we give you our grateful praise for the beauty of the music and of the worship experience and all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scriptures are printed up in your seasons weekly and I hope you'll use it as a, as a prayer calendar. And I'm going to read the three scriptures in reverse order. So the Second Corinthians chapter 3, 1 first, and then progress to Romans 7. And finally read the passage that we will meditate on this morning, the one in Matthew. So if you're looking it up, Second Corinthians chapter 3. And if you want to just follow in the bulletin, or if you want to just listen with all your attention. Lord, hear us as we and uh, attend to our need as we read your word. Says the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it not with ink, but with God's living spirit. Not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. 
and we publish it. And Paul describes the dynamic of that publishing in our lives in Romans 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, don't you understand yet, dear Jewish brothers in Christ, that when a person dies, the law no longer holds him in his power? Let me illustrate. When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, she is no longer bound to him. The laws of marriage no longer apply to her. Then she can marry someone else if she wants to. That would be wrong while he was alive, but it's perfectly all right after he dies. Your husband, your master, used to be the Jewish law, but you died, as it were, with Christ on the cross. And since you are dead, you are no longer married to the law, and it has no more control over you. Then you came back to life again when Christ did and are a new person. And now you are married, so to speak, to the one who rose from the dead so that you can produce good fruit, that is, good deeds for God. When your old nature was still active, sinful desires were at work within you making you want to do whatever God said not to do and producing sinful deeds, the rotting fruit of death. But now you need no longer worry about the Jewish laws and customs because you died while in their captivity and now you can really serve God, not in the old way, mechanically obeying a set of rules, but in the new way with all of your hearts and minds. Oh, I love that. Those two scriptures, they're just so captivating and liberating at the same time. And then Matthew chapter 5, where we find ourselves this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. And I start with uh, what Tom Ricks expounded last week as the introduction to today's section. Matthew 5 verse 20 but I warn you, unless your goodness is greater than that of the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven at all. Under the laws of Moses, the rule was, if you murder, you must die. But I have added to that rule and tell you that if you are only angry, even in your own home, you are in danger of judgment. If you call your friend an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse him, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and suddenly remember that a friend has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there beside the altar. Go and apologize and be reconciled to him. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. 
Come to terms quickly with your enemy before it's too late and he drags you into court and you are thrown into a deader cell for you will stay there until you have paid the last penny. May God encourage our hearts with these scriptures. I had prepared uh, some slides and outline and everything and when I got into my office this morning to pray and prepare for the sermon, uh, the Holy Spirit did that irritating thing. He said, those slides are too involved. They're going to take 40 minutes to explain, and why don't you just forget them? So um, there are no slides this morning, only that one, which is really a critical one. And talking about slides, does anybody remember what this is? Oh, you've just dated yourselves. This is from the last century. <laughs> For those who are young among us, this is called a slide. And there were old days, as I say, a hundred years ago, when you would open your camera and feed a spool of film through and then take the pictures and take the roll to the developer and wait a few days. They've developed one-hour photo processes, ultimately. And then you would get your photographs with a whole spool of negatives. And uh, they could... Sometimes, put, if you asked for it, they could put the negatives into a little frame like this. And then you used this. This is the forerunner of a smartphone. <laughs> you know, you hang it on your belt. <laughs> and you would uh, process these slides on a carousel through the lens. And it would project, not the negative, but the light would turn the negative into a positive, and there you would have, in all the brilliant colors and glory of the original scene, projected through a negative, a positive scene. Now, when we read the Old Testament, we have to think of the law of God as a photographic negative. You see, the kingdom of Israel was made up of sinners who needed restraining. And therefore, to restrain people, God said you need laws that are going to curb your evil. For your society to live in harmony and in, uh, to function, you've got to curb all these sort of things. Idolatry and murder and adultery and greed, and lust, and lying, and so on and so forth. And so those are all negative things restraining you. But Jesus institutes a new kingdom, and with the new kingdom comes a new constitution. And Jesus is not interested just in the old negative mechanics of the law. He projects his light through the negative, and up on the far side comes a picture of a person who has dealt with the negative, but has also developed the positive. So you remember the reading from Corinthians said, God is publishing in our lives the glory of Jesus. 
So really, he wants to project into your life that that screen would be your life and projected into you would be the character and person of Jesus himself. And that is what we really want and what we were really created for. And what if we knew what we needed and desired, we would find, I actually want to be like Jesus because he was this wonderful man, full of grace and full of love, but as straight as an arrow and as truthful as can be. So Jesus introduces the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 5, the similarities between the Mount of Beatitudes and Mount Sinai and the new constitution for the new kingdom is introduced. And now Jesus is going to take some of those negatives and he's going to project them. Okay, so the Pharisees were interested in the outside of the pot, which you might call the pressure cooker of your life. Oh my, they used elbow grease and spit and polish and brasso and silvo, and that pot was gleaming. We've never committed murder. And I think we could probably all say that here this morning. So Jesus said, ah, well, you see, that was just restraining something. What was it restraining? And now he gets really up close and personal, and he says, I tell you what, let's open the pot and see what's inside, because I'm interested in the inside of the pot. And uh, I don't know what you think's in your heart, But there's murder there. Because he traces the genesis of murder and the progress and dynamic of what happens when you don't deal with stuff. The end product is murder. And so he says, let's open the pot. And of course we open the pot and it's anything but polished and clean. There's a stinking mess of maggot-filled, slimy, meat inside the pot, which of course is why we've never opened it before or why we're so reluctant to open it. And Jesus says, well, murder, here's where it all started. It started with irritation. That's right. The murderer first got irritated with the victim and didn't deal with the irritation. And it became resentment. And they didn't deal with the resentment. And so the more maggots fell into the pot and the resentment became bitterness. And the bitterness became rage. And in many a case, the rage led to the physical act of murder. So when I open my heart to God and say, gee, God, you really want to look in there? He says, yep, the new kingdom wants Jesus and all that stuff is very unchristlike. But something else very powerful about this whole thing, and um, I saw a bulletin board by a church I drive, drove by this morning and it said, you drink poison and you think your enemy will die. <laughs> and I love that. Because, you see, when we get irritated and allow it to develop into bitterness and anger and rage, uh, we're offering 
poison to our enemy, but drinking it ourselves. So what happens when you get all angry? Well, physically, of course, there are great things that happen to you when you get angry. Uh, one thing, you see red. Do you remember that? Uh, your blood pressure goes sky high. And with the rise in blood pressure and the irrationality of your thinking come all sorts of a whole slew of physical things like your heart beat goes up and I can't describe them all, but you know that they happen to you. And emotionally, something poisons you when you're angry. Number one, you don't have peace. Number two, there's no joy. And so we could go on and on and on. And if you want to trace the genesis of anger and play it out all the way emotionally, you end up in depression. Now, I'm not saying all depression is based in anger, but a lot of it is. If you're struggling with depression, it's worth opening the lid and saying, God, who am I angry with and how am I dealing with it? Because it could well be part of the problem. And then, of course, socially. Do you like being around an angry person? Every now and then the volcano erupts and hot lava flows and they set everything on fire and there's a firestorm and so on and so forth. Of course not. You don't like being there and so you clear out and you stay away. I don't want to be around people like that. And finally, spiritually, God himself says, you know what? You're not dealing with your sin, and your sin is separating me. So maybe the roadblock in your own spiritual growth that we all feel from time to time, you need to just ask the question, am I dealing with the irritation and the irritations of life in a biblical way? So we often come to church and present the gleaming outside of the pressure cooker of our lives. But this is the place where it's safe to open it. This is the place where in the context of worship, God says we can, we can fix that. And instead of that stinking maggot-filled mess, let's get Jesus out. Now, of course... Uh, that's been hard enough to hear, but Jesus goes even further. And uh, how, how will you know these things? Well, think about the words that form in your mind when you are confronted with irritating people. Like right now, maybe I'm irritating you, so what are you thinking about me? <laughs> and maybe words like, Golly, you're such an idiot, are forming in your mind. Or maybe you're thinking something like, what a fool. And then as time goes on and I don't end, you maybe start thinking, ah, curses. <laughs> and you see, all of those are symptoms of anger. So we really are trapped, you know. It's, it's true about me that this anger is part of the sinful manifestation of who I am. And if I don't deal with it, then it becomes my identity. 
and then I'm just an angry person. And uh, God says, you know, my grace, my grace wants to fix that. So that far from being an angry person, you are a restful peacemaker who is promoting the grace and finding the grace so satisfying that you say, what a jerk I was, what an idiot I was to poison myself with anger when I can be living as a free, liberated person having Jesus published in my, li in my life. And then it goes one step further, so we get up another element into the slide we're projecting there. The next thing Jesus says is even more upsetting. He says, when you're sitting there, sometimes the Holy Spirit will convict you in your worship or when you bring your gift to the altar, and it will suddenly occur to you, not that other people irritate me, but oh heck, I irritate other people. He says, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of that, then leave your gift there. And go to your brother and sort it out. So you take responsibility for who you are as an irritator. <laughs> we don't like to think like that, do we? But you see, it's one of the maggots inside the pot. And it's the only reasonable thing to do is take responsibility for my life and go and say, hey, brother, you know, I've been whatever. I've, I've done that one stage I was very mean to my brother-in-law and I remember the Holy Spirit convicting me and going to him and saying, you know, I was such a jerk when I said thus and such about you and I just hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me because I want to, I want to live in a reconciled relationship with you. And you know what happened? He's become one of my best friends. He's someone that I, I love with deep intensity now, whereas before I was despising him. So don't let your arrogance, don't let your pride, don't let whatever self-image you want of yourself as a shiny pot get in the way of God actually transforming you into the image of Jesus. Now, what's the first consequence of opening this pressure cooker lid? Well, I'll describe it in my own life, that I've had times of intensely loathing myself. And the devil coming alongside, this has happened in my office a number of times, as I've had the Holy Spirit pry open that pressure cooker lid. And the full mess of evil becomes apparent. And the devil comes and says, ha, call yourself a child of God. And posing as a pastor, you really are a piece of work. So when you open the lid and that sense of self-loathing overwhelms you, am I really this person? Is this what I'm actually capable of? 
you can do one of two things. You can say, well, I'll deal with it and try and throw out a few maggots, or you can say, let's put the lid back on. Who cares? I'm, people are seeing a shiny pot anyway. Uh, those two reactions are sinful and wrong and are going to cause you endless grief and pain. Remember, physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually, in all those four areas of your life, there are going to be consequences if you put the lid back on. So it's God's grace saying to you, hey, let's take the lid off. And does God then gag the way that I gag when I see my own messy heart? Well, maybe he does, but you know what he does? He gives us an example. He says, this is what I want in you, and I'm going to show you exactly what it is. The example is this, that you, Anton, you irritate me. Boy, do I ever irritate God. And what he says is, I'm going to give my son Jesus. And Jesus says, gladly, Father, I gladly, I gladly humble myself to become, first of all, a man, lay aside my glory. I gladly humble myself to become a servant. I humble myself to death on the cross so that there might be reconciliation. So irritation leads to death. Somebody has to die. Jesus steps in and does the dying. Now, self, the arrogant self, the self who needs restraint through the law of God, that self needs to die as well. And when that happens... There's a profound metamorphosis, or if you like, the cocoon is broken and the butterfly comes out. Because when that happens, you are linked with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. So what we do is we say, this is all an operation of grace. And the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount must be read as being the arena of blessing in the Beatitudes. Because eight times Jesus exclaims, blessed. <laughs> Here's the man who is blessed above all others, the one who is fortunate above anybody else because God is speaking his blessing into his life. And guess what the first one is? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And when I open the lid and look at anger, and Jesus is going to lead us to meditate on things like lust next week and then uh, oath-taking, the honesty of our words, and, and he's going to lead us through, and we're going to look at all these maggots in our lives that we must always see, oh, yes, I am poor in spirit. And the second one is blessed those who mourn. And that loathing is mourning. So yes, I'm a blessed person when I say these maggots are mine and I loathe them because they are obscuring the clear picture of Jesus that God wants to project in my life. They are messing me up and so I mourn. 
And so I go through all the Beatitudes and end up as a peacemaker. An angry person can't be a peacemaker. It's the apex of your spiritual journey is to be a peacemaker. And then you go out back through the portal. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you've got some work to do, I know, I have. So do I deal with this once? Do I now say, okay, God, I'm scared about this, but let's open the pot, and will you please stomp on these maggots and help me to take them to the cross and lay them at the foot of the cross and say they are dealt with, they are done? Is that it? Well, I wish it was that easy, but you see, on the way home, Somebody's going to cut me off in the traffic. And guess what's going to come out of the dark cavern of my heart is another maggot. Now I can put the lid on and let it breed and infest everything. Or I can say to God, there I go again. I'm such an idiot. Please forgive me, God. Pray for the person who cut you off. Lord, bless their lives. May a cop see them. No, no. <laughs> Lord, just uh, encourage them. Bring them to your light. And thank you that I can know peace in this. And you take your foot off the accelerator instead of racing this person to the death. You just relax back and say, isn't life wonderful? God just gave me an extra 30 seconds to enjoy his peace. And that process goes on. So hiding in the deep caverns of my heart are these maggots that crawl out. And I don't put the lid on them. I say, bring them to the light of the gospel. And then what happens? By his grace, he says, together. And this is part of your testimony, of course, that you're not perfect but together with God and His grace, you are becoming more like Jesus. So let us pray together. Lord, we sang about the amazing love. How can it be that the immortal should die for me? And now we understand that with a new intensity. And as we come to close our time of worship, we do surrender, Lord, not just our wills, but we open the pressure cooker and take the lid off and say, please, God, deal with the darkness and develop through your goodness a positive picture. Publish Jesus in my life and this to your glory. Amen.